Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Father, we are so grateful for what you've done, that you came and you did, you fought for us. You went after us, you laid down your life. And having laid down your life, you defeated the enemies that held us captive. And you raised again, Lord. Father God, I would just ask that you would bless this time of the word, that you would give me the ability to speak clearly what you want to bring out today. And Father God, just continue to work in this place by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today, I want to just preach to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you, we're going to jump around a little bit, but if you've got a Bible and you'd like to follow along, you'd like to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's where we'll be mostly. We'll have them follow along on the screens as well. But I want to start off with Romans 5 verse 8, and it says this, But God shows His love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows us His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now you gotta, you gotta think about this. This is a, this makes sense if you're in church circles, if you've been around Christians a lot, Christ died for me. But, you know, if you wanna show, let me say it like this, you know, if I, I used to do, um, my family, uh, used to go canoeing a lot up there where, uh, what's the name of that? Is Melissa here? What's the name of where? What's the name of the dam right up the road? Help me out. David knows it. What? Norris Dam. I don't know why. It just escaped my mind. Norris Dam. You could tell how much I've been there. No, no. But uh, but we'd go canoeing around Norris Dam. And, you know, when they would open up those generators and let that water flow, that water was just moving super fast. I mean, it was crazy fast. And I've heard crazy stories of of the undercurrent and how dangerous uh, that, that river can be. I've even heard that a couple of guys had like a John boat and they tied a handle or a, a string to the handle of a one gallon bucket and they tossed it in the river and it pulled them so fast it almost pulled the boat under. That's how strong the undercurrent is in that river. And, uh, so we'd go up there though. We'd have fun. We'd go up there. There's Melissa. She's back. Where were you when I needed you? Um, <laughs> I was trying to think of Norris, Norris Dam. Thank you. So, so we, so, so we're up there one day they had the generators open, but we're up there trying to canoe in the river, uh, with my parents as a family, me and Melissa get in the boat and, and this current's so strong, we really couldn't canoe because uh, to turn around and go upstream was impossible. So we said, you know, it's 13 miles from here to that, uh, a bridge on highway 61 in Clinton, 13 miles. Why don't we go ahead and just make that trip? I mean, it's, we are moving, right? So we, we got in that boat. We said, pick us up. So we got in there. I'm telling you what, it was moving so fast. And the bottom of the canoe, this aluminum canoe, was so cold, you couldn't even put your feet on it. Because when those generators are open, they're pulling it out of the bottom of the lake up there. So so we're moving down that lake. And um, we, we kind of knew the first landmark was about a mile. So we clocked it. And we're like, man, we're going about 10 miles an hour. We're not getting out. We'll be there. We'll be there in Clinton in uh, 13 miles. We'll be there in an hour and a half. We'll see you there. Come pick us up. All right. So we just take off. I mean, we're, we didn't have to paddle except just to keep the canoe going straight. I mean, it was fun. We were moving. I'm telling you, we were moving. It was, oh, come on. It was fun, wasn't it? It was a blast. Yeah. We weren't in shape. We weren't actually, no, we were just, we were just, we were, so, 
after a little while, I mean, we're having fun, we're moving. All of a sudden, it's like we're having a paddle. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> and we're paddling. Well, you were in the front. You wouldn't actually know. <laughs> so we're pat- and all of a sudden we're looking out, and it looks like the water used to be higher than it was. Now it's getting low. It's like, dog, oh, they turned those generators off. <laughs> I'm telling you what. Five hours later, five hours later, we were so sore the next day because we had to. <laughs> but that I've heard crazy stories about how dangerous that river can be when it's flooded. And boy, we were you know when when the water is coming through the generators. And boy, we were moving. It was a blast. But let me ask you this. If you were walking along a river like that with somebody you loved and they just wanted to show you how much they loved you, so they just jumped into the frozen river, does that make any sense at all? (laughs) Let me show you my love. (laughs) It's a silly thought, isn't it? But if you were walking along with somebody and they fell into the river, then you would have a reason to jump in and that would demonstrate your love for them, right? See, it says God shows us his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for that. We have to put that in a context because our culture is losing that context. Our culture thinks people are all basically pretty good. We don't realize that people are really sinners. People need a savior. And the thing is, we are like that person who fell into the river and Jesus jumped in to save us. So when we put it in the context, now it makes sense. God shows us his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't just a random act. There was a reason. We needed a savior. We needed rescue. And like I said a moment ago, it was an act of war. He came and defeated the powers that held us captive so that we could go free. And it cost him his life for ours. Luke 19.10 says that the Son of Man, or the Son of God, the Son of Man, however it says it, came to seek and to save the lost. That's what he, he was on a mission, to seek and save, a mission. Now, that's almost a military term there, you know, if, if you think about it. We tend to think about what happens so often in religious terms, we lose the reality sometimes. He came on a search and rescue mission to look after me and you and everybody who was lost to capture us and to redeem us back, to save us back. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Maybe the most quoted verse ever, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not have perish, not perish, but have everlasting life. See, look at the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. You know, I think sometimes religion has made it sound like God is so angry at the world, he killed his son. That's... Not what happened. He said, God so loved the world. God so, it was an act of love. And I'm going to tell you, the Father and the Son were in it together. They were in it together. They both agreed on this. And they said, let's go get them. This is our search and rescue plan. This is our, the, the, we're going to go in there militarily. We're going to defeat, we're going to, we're going to ambush the powers of darkness and we're going to set the people free. And that's what they did. Amen. Come on. Thank God for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. So I want to look at this 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with you. I want to start with verse 1. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And he's reminding them of the gospel that he preached. He says, Which you received, in which you stand. So there's a continuance, right? They received it, and now they are standing in it. Why? Because the gospel is a relationship. 
right? Being saved is being in a relationship with God. It's being connected back to God. It's not just making a decision. It's entering into a new life with God. And he says, you've received it and now you are standing in it. And by which you are being saved. See, we are being saved. We are being saved. When you confess Jesus as Lord, you are saved. You are translated from the powers of darkness into the kingdom of his son, right? But as we go through this life, we're continuously being saved because we're looking to that day when we will also, like him, be resurrected, and then we will be saved. It's past, present, and future. And we're standing here in this time where we have been saved, we are being saved, and we are looking to a future salvation. But he says, by which you are being saved, if you will hold fast to the word preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We got to hold fast to that message because it's a lifestyle. It's a walk. Amen. Verse three, for I delivered to you of first importance. Somebody say of first importance. So whatever he's going to say here is going to be the most important thing he's saying. (laughs) The first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So for the Apostle Paul, he said, this is the most important thing I can tell you. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised again according to the Scriptures. This is the crux of the Gospel. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the first importance. It's so important that without it, there is no gospel. There is no salvation without the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you're still there in 1 Corinthians 15, skip down to verse 12. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So obviously there were some in this group that were saying the resurrection didn't happen. Just like today, there were people back then in Paul's time who said, no, there's no such thing as resurrection, life after death, or any of that stuff. When you're dead, you're just dead. That's what they said. There was actually a Jewish party that said, hey, there's no such thing as angels, there's no demons, there's no resurrection. They didn't believe this skeptics just like today. They didn't believe it. But Paul went on in verse 13, and he said, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is vain. Paul is making the case here that this really did happen. The things you're experiencing among you is because Jesus really did die. He really did come back from the dead. You know, when Paul was preaching to these groups, they were very likely, um, uh, many of them, if not all of them or most of them, you know, they were not eyewitnesses of the resurrection. There were about 500 people who saw Jesus after he raised from the dead. And Paul lists them in several and said, if you want to know about this, go talk to them. They saw it. They were there. But he's talking to people who who didn't see him swallowed up and laid in the tomb. I think sometimes there's this attitude, you know, that, well, in modern times, we are so scientifically advanced that, um, you know, though they were just superstitious back then, they believed in all kinds of silly things. But, you know, 2,000 years ago, it was pretty, pretty common that dead people stayed dead. <laughs> Even then, I mean, they knew how it worked. You know what I mean? They knew a lot more than we give them credit for. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
So dead people stay dead then, just like they do now. It was not normal to have people coming back from the dead. It was not normal to go back on the, you know, to to uh, the way they would bury people back then. You know, they'd put them in the in the in the uh, uh, tomb, and then later on, after the bodies decayed, they would go and take the bodies and put them in the bone box. All I'm trying to say is they've actually had contact with the bodies sometimes several times after they died, and so they'd go there, and those bones were still there in that grave, you know, in that box, or swaddled up, swaddled, swaddled up, because dead people pretty much stay dead just like they do today. <laughs> it was not, it was not uh, a chance that you know he was. You know, just mostly dead. Like that. <laughs> what was that? What was that movie? The Prince's Bride. He happens to be mostly dead. <laughs> no, okay. If you're not older enough, you won't get that. But, but, uh, uh, yeah, no, he, he was dead. They knew, they knew back then what dead was and he was dead. They put the spear in his side. The blood and water poured out. The coagulated blood. You can't live like that. There are many witnesses. You know, the, the Roman soldier, the people at the cross, the people who put him in the tomb. He was dead. And he laid there for three days. But here's why that's, this is, this is why it's important. There's a, see, there's a lot of complex things that happened. You know, life is complex, is it not? Come on, life is, let's be real. Life is complex, right? It just is. But the answer that we need for life is sometimes simple, but it's not simplistic. Okay, it's simple, but it's not simplistic. We work with complex things all the time. My kids both learn how to ride a bicycle, right? For them, it's simple. They get on, they pedal, they balance. But they don't know about the gyroscopic force of the wheels and the, all the thrust vectors as that's turning. They don't know about counter steering. They don't know about all that. They're just riding a bike. But it's a very, if you think about it, it's a very complex system. Is it not? If I say, hey, look over here at the screen, you just look, you just take it for granted. But what goes on in your body, in your mind to look at that, to see the light, to translate it, to, to relate it to where it's complex, right? So at the cross, when we get into studying some of these things, there's a lot that happened. But thank God we can be simple people to enjoy the benefits of it. We don't have to know all of the theology and figure it out. We'll probably be studying the theology of it in heaven forever to know all the different ramifications of what Jesus did. But many things happened on the cross. Listen to this. First of all, there was a transaction. We sang the song, it was my death you died, right? The Lamb of God in my place, my sins erased. Why? Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There was a transaction. He took my sin. And in turn, I received his right standing, his righteousness. That's an amazing thought. That means I have the same standing in the kingdom of God that Jesus does because of what Jesus has done. He took my sin. We call it the great exchange where he took my sin and I took his righteousness. He, he pronounced me right before the Father. Not right, but just a little bit bad, so I'm like, you know, several notches. <laughs> you know what I mean? He put me in the kingdom where I can approach God with the same way, in the same way that Jesus can approach the Father. Through Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. So there was a transaction. Another thing that happened on the cross was the devil was defeated. 
Satan was defeated. Look at Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. I love this verse. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The devil was defeated at Jesus' death. Come on, that's good. You know, here's the thing. If Jesus hadn't gone through death himself, how would we know that he had the victory over it? How would we know that, that you know, we're all going to die? If Jesus doesn't come back for us before we die, we're all going to die. How would we know that there was life on the other side of death, except for the fact that Jesus has been there and came back to tell us? So through death, he defeated him who had the power of death so that you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. You know, if you think about it, how's a Christian going to die? You're going to close your eyes one minute, and the next minute you're going to open your eyes and there's going to be God. That's not a scary thing. That's not a scary thing. Praise God. It says in 1 John 3, 8, that the Son of God appeared for this reason. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And he did on the cross. Amen. Another thing that happened on the cross was the authority was taken from the devil because God created the world. He put a man in charge, Adam. And because Adam sold out to Satan, Satan was using Adam's authority to rule this world. And at the cross, Jesus took it back. Do you remember when Jesus was being tempted? It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, uh, the devil comes to Jesus and he says, look, I'll give you all these, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And he says, I'm going to give you all the authority and all their glory for it's been delivered to me. And I can give it to whoever I will if you will do it, if you'll just worship me. That was the temptation of Jesus. And Jesus didn't argue with them. He didn't say, oh, no, you don't own this. <laughs> They've not been given to you. He didn't. This was a real temptation. If it wasn't real, it wouldn't have been a temptation. And Jesus didn't give in, of course. Because why? Because after the cross, after the grave, in Matthew 28, 18, he could say, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. He took it back by conquest on the cross. He took the authority back. He took Adam's authority back. Come on, that's really good. See, like I said, there's a lot of things that happened on the cross. You don't have to know them all to benefit from it. You don't have to know all the nuance of it, but there's a lot of stuff that went on, and I'm just so thankful. Um, we've been given life on the cross because of what he has done, right? You know, John 3, 16, we just read it. He loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And like I like to say, this eternal life is not just this life, but more of it. This is God's kind of life. This is the life of the new creation that's coming. That's the kind of life it is. Because if you tell some people, hey, you're going to live forever, you're going to have, and they think this life, but forever, it's going to be, oh, really? I'm so tired of this life. <laughs> Hopefully that's not you, but come on, we've all been weary and tired at times. You get weary with things. and Nobody, come on, this life is not perfect. Nobody wants this life forever. 
but he's talking about the life of God that we can have as a deposit now, a deposit of that life of the age that's coming. I'll explain that in just a minute. It says in John 5, 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Resurrection life in this present age is a down payment of the life of the coming age. Here's the thing, the present time, right now, this time that we're living in, this is the wait. <laughs> this is the wait. We're just waiting. Why? Because God doesn't want to foreclose on those who are being saved. There's still people who are coming in. And if he ends it right now, which he has the authority and the power to do, then anybody who's not right is lost. And the Lord's patience means salvation. The Lord's patience means salvation. So why is the world messed up? Well, because people messed it up. Why doesn't he fix it? Because he can't fix it without getting rid of the things that are messed up. So he'll have patience and he'll ask you to be his witness to help people, to minister life to people. See, think about it. Jesus went around doing good. We, we know that Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He went around setting people free, untying the bonds that sin and Satan had on them and setting them free, right? But Jesus was one person. He ministered. If you look on a map, I mean, look how small Israel was. Look how small and look how big the world is. He was one person. He couldn't be everywhere at the same time. He came as a seed to start this thing. And he did. Now, here's the thing. What an amazing thought, first of all, that one man's three and a half years of ministry in that one little tiny spot in the world has impacted the world so much. Come on. That tells you something, that he's still working now. But the difference is he's working from headquarters. He ascended. He went to the right hand of the Father where he's in all power and he's commissioned you. You are his body on the earth. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is supposed to be on you and in you just like it was with Jesus. That's how he's impacting the world. Through you. Through people like you and through people like me. Just ordinary people who are out doing ordinary things but carrying this glory of God. Come on. <laughs> That's your high calling. That's what he's made you for. And here's what's neat. You are made for it. It's not something that's like a strain for you to do. You come to God, this becomes a natural thing for you to do. Praise God. So skip down to verse 20 and read that with me. So Paul's making the argument. Remember, argument. He says, you know, there are people who's saying that the dead aren't raised, but he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. Do you know what a first fruit is? It means that what God did for Jesus on Easter, he will do for all of his people at the end. It means that the resurrection that Jesus experienced, the bodily resurrection that Jesus experienced on resurrection day, he will do for all of us at the end. He'll raise us. He'll give us a bodily life to share in that bodily new creation that's coming. Come on, that's our Christian hope is the new heavens and the new earth, right? It's not just heaven after we die. I mean, there's a time when we go to be with the Father. After we die, we leave this body. But we're going to get resurrected bodies just like Jesus did, and we'll live in a new heavens and a new earth because God will recreate it and he will recreate us. That's what first, first fruits means. It means Jesus was raised at, as the first fruit 
and we will be raised as he was raised. Come on, a new body, no more decay, no more sickness, no more pain, no more eating bad Sonic on Friday night. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Praise God. I don't even think there'll be Sonic in the new creation. <laughs> there better not be. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Verse 21, for as by a man came death and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Okay, for as in Adam all die. Why? Because Adam was the one who sinned. Adam was the one who bowed his knee to God's enemy and sold out the whole creation to the devil. That explains it. You want to know why the world's messed up? That explains it right there. Right? But if you read a little bit farther down, it says that Jesus came and he's, it's, he's called the, the last Adam. The last Adam. Why is Jesus, why did he come as the last Adam? He came as the last Adam, because he came to end Adam's family and start a new family. He came to end the race of Adam and start a new race, a race modeled after him and his likeness. See, from heaven's perspective, he sees two races of people, Adam's race and Jesus's race. That's it. That should end racism right there. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. That's it. And we're born, we're in Adam. But Jesus came as the last Adam. Why? Because he needed to end Adam's family. Because Adam's family got really weird. <laughs> Adam's, the Adam's family <laughs> got really messed up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he says, it's time to end Adam's family. I'm going to start a new family. That's why if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation. What did he just say in verse 21? For as in Adam, all die. And so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam needs to die. And you need to come into Christ. Jesus' family is the family of the new creation. And if you are in Jesus, you are already, in this present world, you are already a part of that new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. You don't have your new creation body yet, but you have your new creation spirit. And your new creation spirit, the new you, is going to be a part of the new thing that God's doing when he comes back. Come on, that's good. So verse, uh, verse 21, I was reading, For as a man, by a man death came, Adam, because death came into the world when he sinned. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, that is Jesus Christ. That's what we'll experience if we are in him. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 23, but each in its own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. When he comes, those who belong to him get to go be with him. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. See, he didn't do that yet. He can do that, but when he does that, the door is closed. This time is over, and nobody will be saved. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we have a part to play in this, because we are working right now in this age for the new creation. Right now, because why? 
We're his body. He's going to work in the earth through us. Praise God. And I want to close with this. If you'll put up Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11. This is in the Greek. This, this phrase here is called the kenosis, and it means in English the emptying. This is the emptying. Look at what it says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though who he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is describing what Jesus did when he came to earth, when he took on Adam's nature and he came to earth. He was in the form of God. He was, he was God. You got, Jesus is God, right? He's in the form of God. But he came in the form of Adam. It came in the form of man. He, cause he did not count, he didn't cling to his, his divinity. He emptied himself. It says, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Come on, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the most horrific way you could die in that day. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He didn't have to do it. He was quite comfortable being God. But can you imagine letting that go and becoming like us to save us? One of my favorite verses has been for a long time in the next chapter, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. It says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That becoming like him in his death and sharing his sufferings, I never fully understood that. I'd, I'd work with that. For years, I've worked with that. Becoming like him. Come on, we want to be like him. The best, the best I could figure out was, you know, they scorned him, they mocked him, they, they persecuted him. We'll suffer that if we take a stand for him too. And, and there's truth in that, true. But go back to what it says in, in, um, in the chapter 2. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He emptied himself. He took the form of the servant. He, and he says, you should have this mind in you that is in Christ Jesus. And that's, I think, what he's saying here primarily, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him. I am willing to lay down my life too. Everybody wants resurrection power, but not many people want to go through the death. Not many people want to lay down their lives to achieve resurrection power. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. The problem is, it takes faith. It takes trust to lay down your life. Because you're saying, I'm not in control. I can lay down my life. I can love these. You know, when, you, when you're in, a, in an argument with somebody, Right? You want to stand up for yourself. Come on, you know you do. But can you trust that God will take care of you enough that you can lay down your life for them? 
Come on, that takes faith. That takes trust. Can we lay down our life for other people in this world? There have been a few great examples of people who've done that. But this is the Christian life that we can live emptied of ourselves because we're experiencing his resurrection life every day. It's something we can experience right now. He who has the son has life. He gave his only son that we should not perish but have life. We can have that life and we can enjoy it now if we also are willing to walk in that emptiness, that openness before God, where we lay down our lives, not my will, but your will be done. It's worth it. It's worth it. Can I get the band just to come up and uh, let's just take a moment to think about this and pray. I should have asked the band just another minute ago. But praise the Lord. One of the things about coming to Christ, it is a laying down of our lives. The Bible talks about baptism. As we practice baptism, the Bible says we are buried with him in baptism and raised together with him. This is called the, the uh, teaching about identification. It means his death becomes my death and his life becomes my life. This identifying with Jesus. Now listen to this. I've, I've shared this on Wednesday night, but uh, you know, if you have a, a disease in your body, if you have a, you know, maybe a virus or something and, and it's working its way or cancer and it's a person that's working their way through their body, when they die and they're buried, that disease dies with them. Think about it, right? Their body, it dies, they're buried the way we do it now, however you want to bury whatever culture. When that body dies with that cancer in it, that cancer dies with that body. There was a cancer of sin. It came into the world and it spread to everyone because everybody sinned. It was the worst pandemic you ever heard of. There was no vaccine that could stop it. There was no social distancing or mask that could stop it. It was a cancer. It spread throughout the whole world. And the only way to stop it was death. Because when that body died, that sin died. That's what Jesus did. He came. And somehow, all of the evil in the world was focused on him. And he carried that sin to the cross and God judged that sin. He condemned that sin in the flesh of Jesus. And when Jesus died, that sin died with him. And when you come into Christ, you are buried with him and raised to new life. Your sin dies in him. Come on, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I just want to, um, I just thank you, Lord, for what you did on the cross. And I thank you for being with the opportunity to be with your people and celebrate your resurrection. Father, I just pray that the reality of what you did might just so flood our consciences, Lord, and, and rise up out of our hearts into our lives, Lord, that we would be very Oh, bold, very bold ministers of this new covenant of this spirit of life, Lord. Father God, I just bless those who are here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.